You're listening to an episode of the Break the Cycle podcast on the SVTV network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Break the Cycle podcast. How many of you have heard the saying curiosity kills the cat? Now, how many of you have heard the complete saying which is curiosity killed the cat but satisfaction brought her back again i heard it for the first time uh with my guest uh, of this episode and i couldn't help but be taken aback at how <laughs> important this saying is uh my guest for today is adarsh nadam adarsh and i worked together very 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 briefly at the communications agency i work for and all of my interactions with adarsh have been, have always given me something to learn from because the man is brilliant the level of clarity that you will see uh the level of clarity that this man exudes is amazing to say the least um adarsh is a freelance pr consultant and a corporate ghostwriter at present he has an immense experience in content marketing in long form writing in public relations and digital content strategy now that's not the interesting part the interesting part is the other things that this man discusses very openly at that um he's he's brought a degree of curiosity in the way that i work and i think about things and that's that's the beauty of all of my interactions with him i have always gone back learning a lot more every single time and i hope you will too i hope you guys enjoy the episode uh do share your feedback uh i will make changes to the podcast there are a lot of things that are about to change in the way we do things and i'm excited to bring those changes to you uh for now see you guys in the next one Bye. And we're on. Excellent. I like how we have no idea, no specific subject to talk about. We're just going to sit, chat, see what comes out of it. I think that's the best way to do it. I mean, I feel like so much conversation can be so scripted, right? I know. And uh, I quite like uh, the idea of a meandering chat. If nothing, we'll have a good time. So I think that's okay. I'm pretty sure we will. but yeah, just yeah. the, the just rest to, is fine just to get the folks kind of uh just to get to get the folks to identify you i do want to introduce you a little bit and ask you about you for starters so uh for those of you who do not recognize this amazing voice that i am interacting with and hopefully you'll see the face as well uh this is adarsh nalam i have worked with this man and i owe a great deal to this man in terms of getting my head on straight when it ca- came to my job we've worked on one project properly <laughs> <laughs> and that's a whole different story <laughs> but it was we, fun experience it was a fun experience i i know the number of i know the number of people just pulling their hair out on that one <laughs> but occupational yes hazard. occupational hazard i do i do want to ask uh, if you could uh, tell everyone a bit about uh, about you what you're up to how you been what have you been up to 
Yeah, of course. Um, well, my name is Adish Nadav, as Aadhaar would have mentioned, or you see in the show description anyway. Um, I'm a communication consultant by profession, intensely curious about practically everything, which it's funny, right? When you're growing up, it's seen as a defect. And then as you get older and you have some, well, linear well-being, mm -hmm. people start to see that as the cause of your success, which is a bit absurd. <laughs> uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll obviously talk about context and perceptions later. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I consult with individuals and businesses on communication strategy. I have an extremely strong interest in mental health, partly from my own experience and partly from uh, experiences I had as an, uh, an early human being, so to speak, or a young <laughs> adult as well. And uh, yeah, I'm an amateur sportsman. I play a bit of cricket. I play some snooker. And uh, yeah, I like talking about things quite a lot. Awesome. Uh, you, also started a, uh, you also started a podcast of yours called The Maximum Project. Yes, yes. I mean, it's, it's nowhere in, uh, in terms of rigor where you are and discipline. But I'm just, listen, I'm just annoying. I will basically just hound people and say, <laughs> listen, come to the show. Which is that's great. Much, I think I think that's I've realized that this podcast is basically an entry point for me to just to get to talk to people who I would love, love to sit down and have a chat with, regardless of what turns out uh, in terms of content. Which is a great way to do it. I mean, if, if you've read The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, she talks about how a lot of art, and this is a book that Elizabeth Gilbert read before she wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And she says mm -hmm. that uh, success in art is a function of audacity very often and not ability. And I think uh, that's obviously not to take away from any ability, but I think just getting out there and doing it, and you'll know that as a martial artist and uh, how much getting your ass out and doing something matters yeah. more than thinking about it too much. So okay. yeah, but coming back to Maxim Project, yeah, it's just about things I... I think I, I spend a lot of my time being constantly bothered by something or the other, and I cope with that by being curious about it. So the Maximum Project is just my ruminations on the human condition. And I do want to do more with it, including mm -hmm. a conversation with you. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'm looking to do more with it this year. But yes, for anyone else out there, that's what it's called. So what does bother you right now? Right now? Oh, geez, man. <laughs> uh, you set aside a couple of days, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you walked into that one. Yeah, it was true. right there. Well, here's the thing, right? I feel like a couple of things. One is the extent of our paranoia defines the boundaries of our stupidity. Mm -hmm. Because I feel that if we are able to buy into some kind of group think about anything, mm -hmm. you can work yourself up into a frenzy. I think our ability to do that uh, when it comes to, say, organized uh, change or mm -hmm. progress is fantastic. But unfortunately, that same ability translates into being uh, one whole collective um, mass of paranoia. And I think that's a problematic, you know, so I think just generally what's happening around the world is, is not something I want to be obsessing over, but it does take a toll on your own. It does. Uh, it does. God, mental it does. well-being, right? Yeah, because we're yeah. all on some level the same person, really. I think, I think there's that. And also maybe... Um, this desire to put things into neat little boxes. I think it's so difficult to accept that the universe is this massive, undefinable abyss that owes you no explanation. Mm -hmm. And because we <laughs> refuse to accept that this absurdity is beyond our noble existence, we are replace that, it with stereotypes. Uh, that's the number of discussions I've had exactly about that over the past couple of days with a, couple, with the, with a few friends of mine. In fact, forget days. I've been having this conversation for like over a year now that everything has, and I'm guilty of this myself, right? I would try and put everything into this nice little box and it doesn't get out of that box. 
it's good or bad black and white everything is black and white like very clear boundaries yeah. very clear uh, very clear lines and only when you uh, and every time you are up for disappointment because you realize there are no clear lines everything is blurred there is no box here everything is just put uh, put if it fits into this tetris like situation yeah no I, i think it's just that you know for some reason i, I really tend to rep- look back to say yuval harari and these incredible mm-hmm. thinkers we have right and one thing he says is that um our innovation has outpaced our evolution i mean mm-hmm. we're tackling what is the cutting edge in terms of our technological lives which is what is fundamentally a fairly rudimentary instrument it's been around for a fair wee while you know yeah. and it's concerned with some very basic things basic but important you know survival admiration validation and things like that mm-hmm. and i don't know if it's designed to cope with the kind of things we put ourselves to and i give you this thing right i was teaching at christ university and simple things that escape our brain i asked this student of mine and we were having conversations about how they felt that their life wasn't going anywhere and this is worrying at 21 i wasn't thinking that right right sorry and uh, <laughs> seems to be everyone's question right now only because life is not meant to go anywhere you know i think navel ravikant says that he says if you ask someone what is the point of life the answer is because and uh, <laughs> I think so the students talking about me right and she's uh, talking to me and she says to me that uh, yeah I don't know where my life is going and I said okay so what are you doing at uh, 2 p.m. this is 11 a.m. class because mm-hmm. I don't know I'll, I might be in class I'll figure it out so okay what are you doing on Thursday at uh, 3 p.m. she says I don't know I'll, I don't have a uh, college that day I'll figure out my routine mm-hmm. so fair enough and what are you doing in May in the second week of May mm-hmm. are you planning to cultivate any skill or Says, no not really uh, just see how it goes i said so you don't know how your days are going and you're confused about your life going nowhere but what is your life but a collection of days that's what yeah you know and yeah. if you can just work out where your day is going i spent so much time when i was younger ruminating about why things don't make sense and it turns out i built a track record of being someone who ruminates and now that's where my life's going to be like a serial <laughs> ruminator <laughs> no it brings me to uh, like uh, i think you and i were talking about this because it's a nice little segue into what's currently being spoken about about routines and figuring out your goal and then mapping your uh days and lives and behaviors to that goal yeah, yeah which is essentially what the entire personal development life coaching or the any kind of coaching industry is based on i mean i am part of that or at least trying to be part of that too uh, right now mm-hmm. but it's paradoxical because you're right for a lot of people um we do not know how our day is going to turn out regardless of how well we plan it you may have like non negotiables what i'm going to wake up at this time i'm going to sleep at this time i'm going to get xyz done and then some shit happens and all goes flying out the window um and i know you're interested or at least you have been uh you have been looking at this side of things for a while as well right <laughs> where yeah, it's become yeah. this it's become this white noise of advice about how you need to run your day and consequently yeah. how you need to run your life do you really think it's that simple as people have just put it to, uh, as like it's been portrayed out to be i think you know for first of all i mean i'm a personal development buff right i love the i i enjoy it this this almost this masochistic uh, productivity porn pleasure you get from this reading stuff it's like you're eating bacon burgers and watching workout videos it's fantastic like you just you know, <laughs> uh, you just 
visceral hit of uh, achievement without having lifted your arse. So, I mean, I do enjoy it, but here's the problem. I think the answer is, I wouldn't say yes and no, because that's a mm. stupid answer to most questions. Yeah. But I, I think, like you said, the answer is a bit more gray. I do think there are certain principles that matter, like mm -hmm. the integrity. I mean, you know, to be fundamentally decent, compassionate, kind. Mm. Those basic principles stand. Yeah. But beyond that, that level of nuance, it completely discredits the amount of happenstance that goes into failure or success. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, a lot of my jobs have happened because of a conversation with someone, a chance meeting. This conversation has happened because of a chance meeting. Now, I can reverse engineer and say that my open networking skills have led to fruitful equations with several stakeholders across the spectrum. It's, it's complete bollocks. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's absolute bollocks. It's not yeah. what's actually causing it. So, and also, here's the problem. Let's take a step back right, from self-help and self-care. Yeah. Now, who decided that I need to feel good? Like, let's say I feel like shit today, just mm -hmm. an example, you know, and this is not to discredit anyone who can't help feeling that way. I've mm. been in that place myself. I'm, um, why am I supposed to feel better? Like, you know, when did healing become more important than feeling? Mm. At the end of the day, if you think of, let's say, human condition, right, you have two guarantees, two absolute guarantees mm -hmm. that you will die and you'll either watch your loved ones die or they'll watch you die. Those are guarantees. guarantees Everything yeah. else, are, are, those, are, those are 100%. I can't tell you if you're going to be, you know, a scientist, if you're going to be a ballerina, if you're going to be a tall thing. I don't know exactly those things at the start, but these are guarantees I can say confidently to any person. Right? Mm -hmm. And we start off with this premise that things are supposed to be great. And I think that is a very exploitable, exploitable desire that people tend to actually capitalize on. Yeah. You know? Neil Gaiman was saying this on the, uh, no, Seinfeld was saying this on the Tim Ferriss podcast, right? He said, the biggest problem with writing is people don't tell you it's bloody difficult. You're pulling these thoughts out of your head and everyone feels that writing is just a question of routine. It's no more a question of routine than being a basketball player is a question of routine. You know, I mean, I can do all the routines, but unless I wake up at six foot five um, next Wednesday, it's unlikely <laughs> it's going to work. So I think yeah. that the foundation is logical, man. I, I don't believe in this one-size-fits-all uh, mechanism. Mm -hmm. However, I think, let's say in your case of you uh, and in the case of me, because I know we've had uh, therapeutic experience and we're trying mm -hmm. to cultivate self-awareness. Yeah. I do think in those cases, it can be helpful. If, Like mm -hmm. with any other relationship, if you have your boundaries, I think self-help can be useful. Mm -hmm. But if you're the kind of person who's suggestible, easily influenced, I think there are significant problems. Yeah. Because then, I mean, then your entire self-help and self-productivity and self, uh, what is it? Actualization? Is that the yeah. word? Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, self-actualization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the <laughs> latest one. I mean, latest am I not one. my actual self? Yeah, because I, I tell you what, I'll give you a simple question. So the other day I was talking to my, my sister, actually, and she says mm -hmm. to me that, so tell me this. And we were just discussing our past. And she says to me that uh, if you were living your ideal life, with your ideal self, mm -hmm. what would that be like? Describe that to me. Hmm. And I said to her, you spoke to me earlier about how my day is going. What makes you think that's not my ideal self and ideal life? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I yeah. know what you mean, yeah. And there's enough people flogging the idea of the ideal self, you start to believe there's something that's not the ideal self mm -hmm. because you know everything has an opposite that exists. Yeah. And I believe this problem, and we said this about on text as well, before we confirmed the episode, I was talking about optimization, right? Yeah. Is that 
yes, there's always room for improvement. That's also a fundamental cliche. Mm -hmm. But I don't think you have to optimize every single aspect. We're defecating, fornicating human beings. I mean, you know, there are things that go wrong. And that's, We're that's essentially okay. meatbags is essentially what we are. Yeah. I saw, yeah, I love the Joe Rogan analogy, the meat bags with the awareness, but I also like the other one, which is house plants with feelings. I read that oh, somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, your house plants with more complex emotions. Yeah, <laughs> so good. So good. Oh, there was another one. There was, uh, hold on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this one out to you because it was so good, but it was so kind of uh, elaborate that it's difficult to remember. Uh, but what it was, essentially, was um it's a th it was something to do with the brain it's a it's three pounds it's mostly fat some water and salt you have a wad of soggy bacon inside your skull and this blob of gross unprocessed jello somehow manages to run a complex biomechanical suit using less electricity than it takes to work a light bulb and people wonder why humans are so fucking weird and have odd experiences that aren't actually real i mean if a bowl of tapioca pudding managed to hallucinate so vividly it invented calculus. It also going, dude, I heard a weird noise and I'm 100% sure it was a ghost of the neighbor's cat, which hasn't actually died, would be just expected as anything else. <laughs> I mean, I, I like that. It's, it's, I, I do think it's uh, yeah, com comedic reductionism, which is also always a nice route. <laughs> yeah, even in Cloud Atlas, I remember there's this scene where I think Robert Frobisher shoots himself in the bathtub and he has this little letter to his love and he talks about um, how human beings are a set of pipes squishing semi-solids between themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I, 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 I have had this phase where I've jumped on this kind of nihilistic bandwagon right uh -huh. where i said nothing's got no meaning we take ourselves too seriously but i don't know i think uh, i've moved between uh the meaninglessness schools of philosophy so existentialism absurdism and nihilism i think i'm firmly an absurdist at this point in time mm -hmm. and uh yeah so coming back to what we're talking about in terms of thinking and coping or whatever and i was thinking about this just before we started to speak right is the antidote to fear which is mm. fundamentally what all of us are on some level. There's okay. a fear that we might not make it. There's a fear we won't find someone we love, someone mm. who loves us truly. Yeah. There's a fear that, you know, it might all come to an end too soon. And while it goes on, it might not feel like fun. So you're technically missing something very insipid. It's like missing, I mean, when you, you know, when you get ill, you eat that dalia khichdi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like craving that on holiday. I mean, it's just a weird thing. You, you, you acknowledge it, but you, yeah. you feel like it's something you mustn't share. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I just feel like there's so much fear. And the antidote to fear, in my view, it's not, it's not courage. I mean, courage is, I think, what you do despite fear. And I don't even know if it's compassion. It's hard, man. When you have self-loathing, how do you start to feel all like lovey-dovey because you read a blog post? Um, I think yeah. the answer is curiosity. You know, if you're fundamentally curious, um, it's very difficult to be curious and fearful at the same time, uh, which is why in American horror movies, the person walks in curiously and walks out murdered, but the curiosity and fear are separated. <laughs> yeah, which is, I think, which is where that comes from, right? Curiosity kills the cat. The, but, you know, the cool thing about that saying is actually, you know, it's one of these weird things, like the story of Sleeping Beauty, which is actually pretty brutal. Mm -hmm. It's about a woman, you know, lady who was actually uh, molested during coma and wakes up pregnant and it and things go down really badly after. Unfortunately, that was completely 
sugarcoated for uh, younger for kids. I did, yeah. I have not heard this version. Yeah, check it out. Check out Sleeping Beauty, Hans Grimm original plot. It's a worrying, worrying story. Ring of Roses, you obviously know. That's a, mm, yeah. a thing to elevate public sentiment during the plague. Um, so curiosity killed the cat. It frequently bandied about as a reason to suppress our contentment or our curiosity, mm. right? But the full saying, and this is a clincher, it says curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought it back. Mm. Yeah. So what, turned, what started off as something that to actually encourage the possibility turned into a deterrent. And that's the beauty of uh, the internet, right? <laughs> and uh, Ch Chinese whispers. Speaking of Chinese whispers, <clears throat> this is a... Uh, I've never really understood the etymology of where that comes from. I, I know what it means. I know that it kind of is the, is the term that a lot of people have used for loss of information when it when it's going from person to person, we have that game around it. Yeah. I never really understood why they call it Chinese whispers specifically. Yeah. yeah. I haven't thought about it either. Have you mm. looked it up or thought about I it? I haven't looked it up, but I am thinking about it. I might just look it up right after this though. Yeah, I remember looking this up. I didn't know there was any, uh, I know there was some, it's, it's like, it's, it's actually a British or Australian origin or something to that effect and it was, mm -hmm. there was some fascination with the culture but I couldn't ever find a reason why it's called that that's an mm -hmm. interesting segue yeah let's start with what we don't know <laughs> <laughs> no it's a good segue into what you and I do which is communications <laughs> nicely done good god you had to you had to I had to I had to because uh, so I'm not sure if you're familiar. Uh, I'm not sure if you've spoken to or interacted with Divya, Divya Karna. Briefly, briefly. Briefly, yeah. yeah. So Divya is. Uh, I've actually, I actually made this joke uh, <laughs> to my partner, and we were talking about we were talking about this episode happening, and uh, so she's interacted with Divya. I have, uh, I have. Divya is like my go-to person at work now. Uh, and she's oh, been, wicked. Very cool. she's been a guest here as well. And I instantly drew parallels because I was like, if you and her were in the same place, I would basically just ask you guys to adopt me as your work kid. <laughs> Beautiful, I'm done, man. Because you're the only two people I know of, at least the kind of people I've interacted with, who've had a very clear sort of approach on how to how to deal with situations with respect to our profession and our industry. Um, I'm going to draw your attention to one of the things that Divya had written very recently, which was this, which is this mock conversation between a client and, well, us, uh, mm -hmm. us being anyone who's, who's a PR professional or a communications professional going, um, you know, we need you to make us stand out. And the question which instantly reminded me of you was, okay, what are you doing to stand out? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is something that I've always been interested to find out why no one asks that question or why at least people in our industry have always shied away from asking questions of that sort. Because more and the more and more I look at it and the more and more I see it, for me, communications um, has been equated to either us being spin doctors where we just spin stuff that doesn't exist mm -hmm. um, and not being advisors as we were intended to be. Yeah. Right. 
and i don't know where that where that link kind of fell apart and i've i've joked about this a couple of times but the more and more i think about it i feel that this is kind of the life cycle of anyone who's been in this who's always looked at communications from as a as an outsider while being in there and that would be me where i've said that i've i've loved it i've hated it i've questioned it i have wondered why, what's the point of it i have joined i have come back again and loved it some more and then hated it again and questioned it again yeah yeah and i'm very firmly at that place right now where i'm questioning it again primarily because communication is such a fundamental human process mm-hmm. um whether it's for brand to person or person to person right and we've never really uh <clears throat> we've always prided communication as a virtue that one needs to have has to have very clear uh communication what you're talking about why you're talking about it what's important if you really want to make that connection but i don't see a lot of i don't see a lot of those principles or that kind of thought process being applied to at least my industry or my profession and i i i also kind of say that it's possibly because of lack of knowledge because i always i came into this as a complete outsider i never really studied communications i just learned mm-hmm. on the job um right. yeah but for someone who's been doing this for a while uh which would be you mm-hmm. <laughs> and studied it as well <laughs> i do want your perspective on this yeah you know it's, it's, you've opened up so many threads out there and that's why i like about the questions you ask i think even in your previous interviews i found that um the questions you ask it's not that they don't have any one single answer mm. there's also so many routes to come at them from i mean let's just take a brief historical look right mm. i mean if you just want to look at the origin of public relations with bernays and there's a barnum and bailey circus before that which would actually have messages mm-hmm. goes back to snake oil salesmen and things like that which is where the fig, the, the the reference comes from as well right. now bernays made his descendant of freud made his money as a publicist right mm-hmm. he when to increase cigarette sales he got women smoking cigarettes on the streets in right. the us and invited the press and then associated these cigarettes with torches of freedom which is basically women fighting for their own independence and their identity in society and the cigarette smoking being a symbol of that fight right so that's how that's the origins of pr so i'm i'm under no pretensions of where our profession began mm-hmm. uh, step 1 right that's just a brief historical context um, i'm going to detail a few perspectives here and then you and i can mash them together and see what comes out right right yeah uh so that's number one the second is steven pinker one mm-hmm. of the finest thinkers of our time uh wrote the better angels of our nature and in every aspect of human history this is one very important thing that goes back to the question you asked me earlier about whether i'm bothered by something and what it is right one of the things that bothers me is we don't recognize that yes it's a tough difficult time but we are in the finest moment in human civilization at this point in time mm-hmm a bunch of the wars in olden times wiped out a third of the population of the world or more right that is true yeah people would say you know you marry someone in sickness and in health until death do us apart they usually meant your premature death due to childbirth issues from a fairly rudimentary healthcare system so i can get with someone <laughs> else after you know i mean <laughs> yeah look at average average life expectancy openness conversations about uh, lgbtqi plus and everything else which mm. we can have openly now you know with yeah. people we are actually on an upward trend i'm under no illusion of that mm-hmm. and that's true of industries as well the industry has become more tech driven the industry has become more skill driven because mm-hmm. of the fundamental democratization of information mm-hmm. i mean i have a laptop and a cell phone i can run a business from that right yeah. so that makes it easier 
But the part that you talked about, I think uh, the advisor attention bit, let's speak to that for a bit, right? Now, firstly, we come from a culture of deference, mm-hmm. deference where obedience and compliance can possibly even be more valuable than critical thinking in the workplace. You know, how many account execs will step up in a PR context, will step up to a VP and say, listen, I know what you're saying is this, but I sense there's a commercial interest in what you're saying, and it's not the best communication output. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, what I'm saying is what you're saying is crap. Number one. Number two, I will do something you ask me to because I'm supposed to, but I don't have to agree with it. Yeah. My agreement doesn't actually have to accompany my obedience. Are we instilling that culture at an organization-wide standpoint? We mm-hmm. don't, right? That's one point. The second one, the third one is the, the agency business model. Think about it. You're selling people's time for a margin. And inevitably, at some point in time, you have to start using time as a resource. It's not designed for critical thinking. You're basically selling rice in the form of carbon-based life forms. <laughs> and the fundamental issue with that is you're devaluing a product that's meant to serve as counsel. And I do think today that's what we are supposed to act as, as counsel, mm-hmm. um, who is capable of not acting in commercial interest. What if I'm speaking to a startup and they contact me for my PR consulting services, and it turns out that their narrative isn't even built enough for a basic investor presentation. I'm going to recommend a content engagement or a very specific communication consulting service for them, not featuring PR at this point. Hmm. I think the other point, man, honestly, is that let's get onto the attention thing, right? You know how George Orwell said one of the fears was that the government will buy the cameras and Big Brother will always watch us. The fear is actually something else now. It's the fear is that we will buy the cameras and no one will watch us. <laughs> yeah. And that's the fundamental problem is that everyone yeah. wants attention, right? And like I'm talking to you now, you and I are engaged in this conversation. I have the attention of one person. I have the engaged attention of one person. Hmm. If I took my trousers off right now and ran around the street shouting, my blood is the finest south of China. Now that's going to get me a lot more attention, but not the kind of attention that translates into anything moderately constructive. (laughs) Yeah, but it is attention. Yeah. So I think the first question to work out with brands that want to stand out is that not what have you done to stand out, but what is the business outcome you're linking this to? Mm. You know, and what is the thought behind it? I ghostwrite for a lot of leaders, right? I frequently Mm. write pieces for extremely smart people who don't have the time. So I provide like a language layer to their intelligence. Mm -hmm. But in these cases, they can fall into a trap saying, how about we write five things about this or make the headline a bit clickbaity. And I think because we fall into this kind of attention economy where people just want to get a short bit of uh, limelight for how many seconds that is, mm-hmm. um, it's our job as uh, communication consultants to rein them in. Your Shifu, I mean, you, Shifu Kanishka, is that right? Yeah. Can yeah. you talk about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, and uh, I've seen some of the work you guys do together. I, you know, I, I stalk you a bit, so there you go. Um, <laughs> What if you told him that mm. you want to learn a new dimension to your art form in mm. a week? What mm. would he say to you? <laughs> I know exactly. If you want to be is. a master in a... Yeah, there you go. And why don't we say to our clients? Yeah. You know, my issue is not really, you know, this emotional thing where, okay, clients are irrational and, and agencies are not trying. That's a dystopian view, right? I mean, no, you is. and I, agency people, the other yeah. guests you've had on... Yeah, I think people are fundamentally well-intentioned, but frequently misguided. Mm. And that problem comes from a culture. You can't isolate yourself from a culture of subservience. Right. If agencies are saying, if this person doesn't like me, mm. 
he's going to fire me. And then you're in this thing, okay, if maybe if I'm obedient, then he'll like me. Like if a manager is telling their teams to think harder mm. and question the client, then they should be comfortable having that happen to them in the office. That you is know? true. Why am I writing a great... Why am I writing a great place to work entry at midnight on Wednesday? Why am I making a mental health post for a client at 10.30 p.m. on a Saturday? Like, are you dumb? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Speaking of that, because you know, we've kind of segued back into what you were talking about. Do you think it comes from fear? I think it comes from fear. It comes from compliance. The problem in, uh, with a lot of us, right? We are the revenue stream for the company because we execute the service. So mm. we're connected to the revenue model. In Corpcom, you're a support function. You're right. fundamentally an expense on the balance sheet. If shit hits the fan, you're extremely useful. But beyond that, honestly, it doesn't take heaps to run a campaign once you have a basic construct in place, right? I think like any consulting profession, I think we are valuable, but we are not indispensable. And we're certainly not as complex as we make it out to be, which is why frequently India pitch decks will have data from US reports for completely baseless reasons. Yeah. Just to the show world is moving to video. Yeah, that's it. Your source, news cred. Sample size, random. Locations, the US and Canada. Target market, Tamil Nadu. Are you dumb? <laughs> like, I mean... <laughs> What are you doing? So glad someone said it. <laughs> like, what are you doing? People tell me I want data. I've had someone say to me, I was doing this report for someone and mm. they were doing a report on uh, their industry and performance and turns out their own performance wasn't very well rated. Mm -hmm. And he says, just uh, check out the data, write the report. I told him that, listen, the data is not very favorable. How mm. about we write a commentary on the industry and our learnings from it? Mm. He says, no, I have something better. How about you change the data? And I'm thinking, sorry, do what? <laughs> Yeah. Just just change the data. Oh man. It's it's, it's just about one, you know, one, one yeah. One small backspace for man and a giant backstep for mankind. <laughs> the human condition is also man. Yeah, oh, man. man. And you know, uh, to come back to your point earlier about I, I picked this profession, like I did, I actually started to study HR, and I didn't like it, I dropped out, did psychometric uh -huh. tests, did a bunch of conversations with people. Uh -huh. And I picked it because I, it's, I, I'm, I fundamentally identify with this self expression and communication in general. Uh -huh. So I picked it. But a lot of people don't, right? Yeah, um, some people just fall into it. And the question to ask is, which you have, I mean, but there are still certain reasons you pick this and not say being an analyst somewhere else, right? Because you are analytical, True. you pick this because it matters to you. I mean, you're a martial artist, a musician and a creator. So clearly self-expression is valuable to you as well. Yeah, yeah. And I feel the question to ask is, is the environment we're in capable of not nurturing, hmm. capable of igniting a passion for work? That is a good question to ask, but then <clears throat> where is that going to, where is that question going to go to? Because here's the thing, um, Simon Sinek said this, right? That leadership can come from anywhere along that hierarchical spectrum. It doesn't have to come from someone who's been designated as the leader, but it can come from the bottom of that ladder also. But when we're talking about things that set culture, right, that I have at least begun to notice that it can't be from anywhere in the ladder. Mm -hmm. It is going to have to come from the top of the food chain, 
in that organizational structure and then trickle down because if it's going bottom up if if there is a break at one place that entire tower of culture or at least i ideal culture is going to fall apart it can you know and i think sometimes we do ourselves a disservice by seeing cultural constructs as structures as rigid as physical ones mm-hmm. i mean here's the thing firstly just to quickly to circle back to sinek i mean simon sinek obviously great creator and i have respect for that the fundamental philosophy i have fundamental issues with which is mm-hmm. starting with why i mean the thing is i just came out of someone's vagina and now i'm here and now mm-hmm. i know that in 18 years i'll pay tax if i have a job or have a degree and i'm like fuck what am i doing here? can i swear on the show of course you can okay so i'm <laughs> like fuck what am i doing here you know jeez and i didn't start with why i start with what the fuck you know tell me and... more <laughs> cuz this yeah cuz <laughs> mate cuz every time i as i was growing up i figured out fairly early that people older than me will tell me things with extreme confidence that they know nothing about <laughs> and i said okay and that's very distressing when you're a child because yeah. you know you cannot challenge them socially for at least 5 6 years now mm. and you have to listen to this drivel while ensuring it doesn't sit in your subconscious so i think the start with why i mean it's a tricky one to start with mm. also now coming back to trickle down right if you're in a human pyramid most instances of trickling down would be unpleasant mm. right so i think with cultures yes we'll say it theoretically let's let's work with that unpack yeah. that a little bit right <laughs> so you have a 50 person agency let's say four account directors two vps one ceo a couple of yeah. managers and some execs and senior execs okay mm. this is the example the ceo is very very focused on the craft and integrity and all of that mm. and make sure he wakes up at 4:30 and i don't know does like headstands or whatever the hell yeah. people do <laughs> like they do a thousand burpees before they walk into work a thousand burpees before they get out of bed and after get out of bed is the warm up <laughs> <laughs> and my point is now how is this trickling down to an account exec it's not yeah. right i think corporate culture that i mean I, i did my my a lot my master's thesis focus also was in areas what stereotyping culture things like that right um it's very hard brother like there's so many fragmentations especially when you overlay the backdrop of india mm-hmm. it's a different construct who's accounting for all the social biases and the rigidity and nepotism and networking and meritocracy issues so a corporate culture to enforce in this country is quite difficult because we bring extreme cultural context of our own to start with yeah what you've got to instill is specifically in my view two values mm-hmm. one is 80% of your waking life will be spent doing this whether or not you want to make it shit is sometimes not a choice but whenever it is try and make it less shit that's value number one make mm-hmm. life less shit <laughs> I think value number 2 is just get your skills better. I know so many people rather at my level mm-hmm. and even higher levels who couldn't put a press release together quickly. It's the fundamental tool of our profession is a well-written press release. Mm-hmm. I would go to the extent saying if you don't if you're in the English language PR version that we work in and you've been in the game for a while and you don't write a strong press release, we shouldn't talk. Because you have you ignore the fundamental tools of your trade. Mm-hmm. right and i think that sort of depth is not available now i mean you mm-hmm. say you learned on the job you've learned through lived experience there is no structured mentoring program in jobs yeah yeah it's like you know how basically overconfident fathers teach children how to swim by flinging them in a the pool and then they figure it out yeah i do think this uh, survival analogy is too much for work and we don't spend enough time nurturing people mm-hmm. and over time 
when you give them these inspirational handbooks and welcome uh, messages on LinkedIn, and then three months later, you're saying, the fuck am I doing with my life? It doesn't work very well because neglect compounds and ignorance compounds. If you don't force people to think in a certain way and make the effort every single time. I've got my execs in, in, in previous jobs and they like it in hindsight, write 13 versions of the same press release. Mm-hmm. I could rewrite the second one myself. And I've told the client that this exec has potential, but they will take some time. So would you mind? They were fine with it. You know, you invest the time, people get better. How many people have you seen, Adhar, genuinely invest time and resources Not in mentoring? Not a lot. I don't think it happens. Uh, I don't think it happens across the board. And I will say that I will say that on record, at least my experience says that when it comes to a mentor mentorship program, at least the way that it's been around here, very few people, very few leaders, and they may not have to be from an agency or a brand, would be doing it for the people that they work with. They would probably mentor people outside of it because it's a great PR opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. It's a brand that you're building, right? Like if Mark Zuckerberg shows up in India and he decides I'm going to mentor a bunch of people, I can buy it to a degree. Yeah. To a degree. Mm-hmm. We have someone from here, I, I don't even know a lot of the names. They show up and they start mentoring people or at least start a mentorship program of sorts. It's going to be... Yeah. It's going to be this one piece video series that's going to be put up and that's it because my agency can come uh, can use that as content. And I know that yeah. it's going to be an agency that's recommending it. Yeah. But you know, and, and you, you, I know break the cycle, that's a theme as well, right? We're looking yeah. at systems. We're not just looking at individuals because we're all part of a system, whether yeah. we like it or not. And I think systems are fundamentally underpinned by their incentives, mm-hmm. right? And if you look at a country like India, large population, tight culture, conservative views, largely, at least the majority. Yeah. So your incentives are usually build a strong bubble, have a social network, have some status, have some safety. Good job. Mm. Um, in some cases, the problem now is compliance and subservience are fundamentally misaligned with creativity. Mm. Right. Now, before we ask questions of the communication industry, let's break it down further. What are the appraisal KPIs for person people at each level? I've had the chance to read them at agencies. At several of them. <laughs> now, if you're uh, if you're senior manager, your VPs assess the entirely the amount of money they bring in. Hmm. I mean, you're basically a trader working an extremely less lucrative job because you're no longer you are. Your incentives are money in a fundamentally creative profession. Um, what if you had components? I don't know. There are smarter people to talk about this than I am. But what if peer feedback was a hmm. genuinely greater component and had a fundamental appraisal component in it, hmm. right? Um, what if uh, you weren't assessed on PNL entirely? It's a part of your assessment. Probably but the skill, because I don't see that either. Skill in terms of? Um, so, to, to me, growth when it comes to an individual within the system of an organization is two two ways. One is vertical, which is within the role or the chosen route that they've taken. So for example, if you're in account planning and management, you will grow in account planning and management. Yeah. Yeah. If you're in creative, you're, you know, art, you will grow in art. But I also think that growth can be horizontal and not vertical. You don't have to be senior manager, account director and account planning, uh, account planning and management. You could be senior manager who can do account planning and management, also work on creative, also manage analytics and services. Yeah. 
with a heavy with a hefty dose of understanding outside of the vertical or the business unit that they work in right like um digital a, a guy who's working in digital also knows how to work pr and someone who is working in pr also knows how to uh, handle digital accounts and not just from a basic understanding of oh you can do facebook twitter and linkedin got it yeah but the entire gamut of things so i don't see a lot of skill oriented incentivization either i could possibly assume that that's also coming from from the culture side of things where if 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 you if you've been given that hefty dose of you know the designation is what kind of sets you apart when it comes to success if that's your rank, yeah. definition of success then sure skill development may be at the bottom of your list because yeah. you're not going to count skill as an as a proactive thing Well, this brings us back to the point, right? Is look at the model you're selling time. So now, if I'm yeah. just selling others' time for I don't know, you know, five thousand rupees an hour or whatever that might be as an agency, right? Yeah. Now, um, they don't. I think firstly, if you're in like a listed situation where you have stakeholder, shareholder mm. responsibility, mm. you're assessed quarter to quarter, and no great things come from being assessed quarter to quarter. At least yeah. not from individual actualization, right? Mm. It's a very short time, and I also think. when you're talking about broadening skill sets hmm. um and incentivizing that firstly is our hiring fundamentally a meritocracy that's that's one question to think about i mean hmm. you know um the second thing is uh people are looking for stability right they right. want stable organizations that run like well oiled machines is a phrase you hear frequently about organizations hmm. now the only well oiled machines are actual machines yeah. Yeah, and and things that are not safe for work videos, but, you know. <laughs> Men in uniform, edition two, featuring well oiled machines. <laughs> but you know, otherwise, I just think these structures aren't built. Oh, let's and let's again look at this. Who is responsible for these innovative people's structures and organizations? Who is designing these creative structures capable of offering stability? Mm-hmm. Your people officers. How many people officers? are tasked with instilling a culture of creativity versus keeping costs down low because salaries shouldn't get higher mm. so sometimes it, i just found that certain constructs like for me as well right my my career i i took a back step in 27 not back step a different step in 2017 i went independent instead right. of working on a agency leadership trajectory and i was going really well because i was mm-hmm. growing really fast and a lot of people were very very circumspect about my move at the time mm-hmm. but i went independent because i found that that construct wouldn't fundamentally allow for some of the things i wanted right which is time for self care and physical health efficiency a relentless focus on quality mm-hmm. and uh, growth and mentoring and things of that sort it's just not possible and it's not their fault yeah it is a fundamental organizational construct issue Mm. and in a country like india where especially see the main grunt heavy lifting of the account work happens to like the first top three level i mean bottom three levels right i can't exact top to senior, senior executive manager. manager yeah after you're a business development guy who shows up for meetings pretty much and you know you can rock up to a couple of meetings and say engagement metrics and hard and cpc and walk out asking what the abbreviation for half those things are which is fine that's just not your job right yeah. um but i think uh fundamentally speaking if you look mm. at those top th- the bottom three levels as such i don't think we create a culture of learning because they're so busy all the time mm. if you don't get paid fair wage if you're not demanding here's it's, 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 it's i say it's a cycle but it's not 
if you have high quality people committed to their work, you can yeah. charge more. Mm-hmm. If you're charging more, you're getting more. If you're getting more, you're investing more. That's the circle. And people frequently blame the, the whole industry saying that we, have, you know, we don't have a seat at the table. Communication retainers are low. But why are they low? Because you have ludicrous, ludicrous ideas of what communication should be. I've seen proposals that say things like uh, plan, increase awareness, strategy, create great content, tactic, post to Facebook, measurement, monthly report, metric, likes. I'm losing my mind. What are these people? Are you shooting finale with your fried eggs? Are you ridiculous? You're literally saying, I will do something for you that makes some sense occasionally, and I will regularly give you a report of my occasional doing nothing. <laughs> and then we laugh. say, yeah, and they're like, why are they so low? Well, because you're talking like someone who wants it that low. So I do think there is, um, I was fortunate. You can be put in a position of uh, responsibility. Let's say I gave you a, a four-person team and said, I'll monetize this, do it your way, figure it out. Yeah. You've got bad people to figure things out. But I think if you don't do that, mm. um, it's a problem. And that short-term view was my fundamental issue with agencies. They don't take, uh, at least the larger ones, I think can be quite rigid. It's mm-hmm. not all of them, but yeah. I think there's, it's too bureaucratic to be fast. And it's definitely not nurturing enough to be meaningful uh, beyond a certain point. And it turns you into a different kind of person, you know. Mm-hmm. If you just like are in an environment where you're kind of having this questioning of, uh, your choices, your learning constantly, that takes a toll, man. It really compounds. It does. You know? It does. It really does. Do you think that's why we've got a lot of people? Do you think that is where we are at present with a lot of people? I'm saying this because I know uh, at least my conversations with a lot of folks, um, not just with the agency side of things where we work, mm. but uh, modern day modern day millennials generation z people who are coming up labels ultimately asking questions about is this what i'm here to do and of course you can add the very esoteric is this my purpose sort of thing (laughs) to it i say that because i ask myself that question yeah yeah i ask myself that question a lot in that exact same statement is this my purpose Mm -hmm. is this what i'm here on this blue rock form And of course, you'll have like multiple answers coming in that no, it's you know, be happy and all of that jazz, which is ludicrous. But, <laughs> <like that. laughs> but do you think that's where we are right now with with people that it's it's probably this, it's packaged in a different way, with the whole purpose and all of that stuff. But it's just this inherent dis- dissatisfaction of have I learned enough? Have I have I been foster? Am I foster, am I part of an environment that's constantly kind of, you know, giving me that feedback loop of growth rather than that feedback loop of I'm not good enough yet, mm-hmm. because th- that does make a difference. I mean, you can be, you can go, you, you can have that mentality of you know anything you say is feedback, and even if you're criticizing me, I will take it as a nugget of gold and build better yeah. and do all of that. But that is gonna break you down at some point. I mean, you can. Yeah. Yeah. You can play pretend badass, but at some point you are going to question, is my, is this the culture that I'm here to work for where I'm growing and not on the metrics of how much money I have, how many cars I have, how Mm -hmm. many homes I have. 
you think we've gotten there now because of precisely this this entire this, has it been there from the beginning or is this just recent i think it's been there i mean i think existential distress is as fundamental to us as existences that's step mm -hmm. one right yeah is enough happening is fundamentally there um at the same time i also believe that that's amplified significantly mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. because um you know we've got to the top of the food chain like harari says uh, through innovation not mm -hmm. fundamentally evolution right mm -hmm. and that leaves a lot of room for significant insecurity about our place in the world mm -hmm. um just to come back to your point about a purpose here's the thing if everyone did have a singular purpose at some point in time that would become common knowledge and at some point in time someone would start to enforce that purpose before we start again becoming these boxed people living a set purpose so for me a reframing of that is a mm -hmm. lack of purpose is autonomy mm -hmm. to decide and uh, except for extraneous circumstances or extreme distress i think mm -hmm. happiness compassion purpose are skills and decisions not right. events or features mm -hmm. right i think you can work on purpose on a daily basis that's that's one part of it right um i think it's definitely intensified for people now because they're able to see the extent of success possible through very limited means hmm. you know you see people topping off on you know the ipl and youtube and tiktok and and doing the most absurd things and and getting ahead in terms of monetary incentives yeah. at least you know yeah and i think that creates a skewed view of the mm -hmm. world because the problem is what we frequently see and I mean, you know enough about this as everyone else does a show reel of people's finest moments and that can itself breed an insecurity hmm. but i also think um sometimes not compassion specifically but kindness can occasionally cause certain issues where if you don't teach people that failure is a natural part of life if you don't teach people that uh, the hustle is actually not just working your hours all the time but struggling through life sometimes hmm. you know um when you don't walk out of that feeling you start to think uh you need to be higher from the start it's the certain insecurity that comes up i've had so many people coming in for an internship and uh account exec work and say i want to work only on strategy and i said fair enough i do that right now but mm. if you can tell me what strategy is in a succinct way you do it i've never had to make that appointment once mm. and the problem here right is that first is we elevate strategy to a certain level everyone wants to do it and we want the results but not quite the work and you know how much work it takes man you you learned music and martial arts so you know exactly how much work matter, matters right yeah um i think the other problem tends to be because of how people are treated like i was taught that i was binding reports out on my first job as a pr assistant mm -hmm. in this boutique agency in the midlands uh i was reporting to my girlfriend at the time Mm -hmm. and my job was 3 days in advance of her meeting to also make sure her coverage reports were neatly bound laminated all by hand oh, wow and i took great pride in this cuz you know when you come from india you don't usually do the stuff yourself right i mean at least yeah. you know we're mm -hmm. talking about in most cases like all of us i mean we, we, our audience and people we speak with we come from a certain kind of comforts or whatever and a lot of the things you won't be binding stuff you just find a binding shop and you get it done or whatever yeah, like sir please thank you <laughs> yeah and you know another thing was every 45 minutes <clears throat> one person had to walk around the office and with a post it and take orders for drinks and go downstairs and make them so hot tea and this is from the ceo all the way through to the interns all of us took turns doing it right right 
and which is just, I think this, uh, I, at the same time during my masters, I was working a job where I had to like carry bins out of a nightclub with, you know, filled with glass bottles, uh, do dish collect, glass collecting, dish collecting after, after finishing my work for the day and things like that. So I think this whole ex skewed expectations is a problem. Mm -hmm. Also, what are we saying? I mean, think about, look at any of the copy that people have on websites, this ambiguous, horrendous, bizarre garble. We are an award-winning, multi-service, full, full stack professional firm specializing in the gamut of integrated communication. What have you just said? What have you just said? My subconscious is filing an FIR for assault. <laughs> you know? I love how you segued into the next thing that I was going to ask you, which is exactly <laughs> about language. Because yeah. the thing is, when you said, explain strategy to me succinctly, I remember a conversation that you and I had had, right? And it was all about how language does not have to be this inane gobble of God knows whatever's coming into your head that you've read on a dictionary that sounds fucking cool, but you don't have an iota of sense of what it means. Yeah. Right? Precisely what you mentioned, we're an award-winning, multidisciplinary, full-stack of whatever. <laughs> can't even get there. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm not sure if I want to ask why we've gotten there because I think it's, I mean, optics is a pretty obvious answer. You'd say optics, right? You'd say optics, but the thing is optics done well is great. Like if you hmm. look at a lot of influencers in the influencer game for most part is great optics. Right. And you can do optics well. See, I'm not averse to sound, let's say in terms of a human being, right? An hmm. ostentatious human being. Hmm. You know, you want to hmm. wear the flashy suits and the cars and stuff. And you can do it in a certain way. I mean, look at yeah. Jason Derulo and these kind of personalities, right? You can make an art form of cringeworthy flash if it's done, <laughs> if you commit to it. Right, the problem yeah. here is the jargon is replicated, number one. Mm. And no one from the writer all the way through to the people presenting this stuff are asking questions of it. Mm. And my other problem is fundamentally the paradox of poorly communicating your value proposition as a communication agency. Mm. You know, and I go in and say, let's do a messaging clinic. We're going to focus on specificity, value, substantiation, and impact. And they say, what do you do? I'm a communication consultant. Like, okay. And uh, what does that mean? Well, uh, if you have to ask, you maybe shouldn't know. It's ridiculous, you know? And I, I think that's a problem. And see, agencies are fundamentally B2B businesses, right? Or B2B right. businesses. Yeah. I have gone into pitches with people and we say, okay, use inbound marketing. That's the new rage. Have a content presence, frequently populated channels to design a sales pipeline, delighted and excited to do business with you. And they're like, what are your uh, sources of uh, clients? Mostly word of mouth. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, you've just given me this massive pyramid with like pipes, which have anuses, which have frogs, which have angels. And then you have word of mouth as your sole referral pipeline. You know? It's absurd. What if I showed up to your house and, you know, like a loincloth, a top hat, I have a scissors and some cello tape, and I say, I'm here for the bypass. <laughs> You're not going to be very keen on that. No. <laughs> yeah. So I just think it, it's honestly, man, I, it's so comfortable to sit mm. in our existing mindset. I continue to marvel at the absurd things I find about myself, several of which are very unpleasant. Mm -hmm. But to a point now, it's, it's, a, it's a source of amusement because I still look and say, okay, where did that come from? Where did that thought come from? Right. And I don't think people question it. People don't always make shitty websites. They just make one shitty website and leave it on forever. 
Mm. And when there's enough of these, we form a perception that most websites are shit. That's not the truth. There are some spectacular yeah. websites. Yeah, there's some great ones. And even the people, you know, I think it's yeah. fashionable to talk about this people bashing. Why don't people focus on creativity? What the question to ask is, why am I around people who don't? <laughs> we, we live in a world today that you can practically make basic contact with anyone you want, which is great mm. news for learners and stalkers. Unfortunately, the latter can be unpleasant. But the former, I think, you know, literally the question to ask yourself, man, is why are you in that environment? Hmm. Let's say, I mean, I'm, I'm no mental health expert, but in some cases, let's say you're going in for uh, counseling because you come from a volatile household. Yeah. How much can you fix about the person complaining about that without removing them from the household or fixing the household? I don't think you can because can. it is... Someone said this, and I do agree, or rather, I be, I've become very open to that, to that point now, because earlier, so for me, previously, like how my evolution of mindset has happened is one, mm -hmm. you know, uh, nothing can change, nothing's going to change, so on, and so forth. Yeah. Two, anything can change, everything can change, we all have the same potential. Mm hmm. And everyone can kind of, you know, actualize and be responsible and get to where they have to get to. To where I'm at now, where I'm like, while I still believe that everyone has the same potential, not everyone has the same finish, uh, same starting line. So your zip code, yeah. your environment, wherever you're born, brought up, wherever you're spending time, who you're spending time with is going to define where you go. Of course, the Ovarian lottery, right? Where you, where you just come out of, literally where you pop out of matters. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. literally that. And, and, you know, the fact is you say work experience and they say, I've got nine years and you've got six years. I said, well, it's just that your parents had intercourse sooner. So, you know, good luck, but this means nothing. <laughs> um, but in, in terms of your point, man, you know, about the growth mindset, can you get somewhere if you work hard, etc. I think mm. some of us are fortunate enough to enjoy some kind of equal opportunity, but maybe not equality of outcome. Mm. And um, again, I mentioned Frankl T on our chat, right? And that, that book for me was transformative. It pretty much cemented my decision in terms of the direction I was taking with work. Mm -hmm. I was lying in bed with a back injury, reading Man's Search for Meaning in the fetal position because that was recommended to relieve backache and for two days. Mm -hmm. And I was just reading this book and one point he had, you know, Victor Frankl's the founder of Logotherapy and wrote the seminal book called Man's Search for Meaning, part of which is his time in concentration camps and the other part about his psychotherapy uh, uh, proposition. And he says, imagine if you die today, if you die right now with all your regrets, all your vices, your deficiencies, your desires, and you feel the loss of opportunity from having this premature experience. And now suddenly, just when you think it's gone, you wake up. What if you just look at every single day as a second chance? Yeah. Having died already, because fundamentally speaking, as esoteric as it might sound, it is the truth. We understand the incidences of lifestyle disease are becoming more and more, you know, frequent in younger populations. Mm -hmm. um, the current circumstance is telling us that uh, nothing can be taken for granted in terms of mortality. Yeah. And for me, I remember I had a, well, I continue to, but my more significant uh, mental challenges were with uh, when I was on medication for depression and anxiety in 2014, right? 2013, 2014. Mm -hmm. I was on SSRIs and uh, another thing called, uh, what's it called? It was uh, antipsychotic for sleep. Hmm. But yeah, and I remember thinking then, um, you can pretty much do one of two things with this entire game. 
-hmm. you can either end it, which is a call uh, <coughs> that different people make for different reasons or whatever. Yeah. Or you can stick around. If you stick around, try and like sort of be curious about the experience, right? Mm. I think. And um, yeah, for me, one thing I did tell myself then though, is that if I wake up and I'm able to think clearly, I'm in a position where I can think about what I want to do. I have that space. I am mm. already a minority. Like the extent of a privilege, the extent of indulgence that rumination actually represents is significant. Yeah. You know, you having half an hour to worry about where your life is going is not that different to having a bottle of crystal on a yacht somewhere. It is fundamentally a privilege to have that kind of unfettered leisure. Mm -hmm. And I do think um, acknowledging that can be useful sometimes. And knowing that it's just a feature, you know, what if discontentment with general circumstances is a feature of how we go about it? Mm. Yeah. So for all you know, some of the things you're talking about now, they could be extreme strengths in so many organizations. You know, the context is everything, man. It's Absolutely. everything. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think being like, to your point, right, the, if you approach it with the curiosity of does this work, does this not work, in which context it works in, as yeah. opposed to... I don't think it will work, but let's see. <clears throat> that in and of itself kind of changes. It's easy to be pessimistic, right? See, so yeah. if, I, if, I told, if you told yourself that, uh, you know, if I made a podcast with suck anyway, what's the point? It's more comfortable, yeah. right? It's more, I, I know for a fact, having spoken with you, it takes a certain amount of determination and, and self-motivation to even have these conversations. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, great to make the effort. And I think that's what we should encourage is, you know, you start off, I was telling my friend this, you start off with the presumption that this is going, this is a bit of a shit show in a lot of ways, incredible <laughs> in many other ways. Yeah. And just train yourself to sort of capitalize on those incredible bits whenever you can. Um, you know, if you look at someone like Sachin Tendulkar has failed 70% of his career as one of the greatest sports person to walk the face of the earth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, um, and I, I don't know. I think especially in an Indian, in a traditionally Indian upbringing, being mm -hmm. smacked about, like my, my generation, I'm talking about, you know, being smacked about by your folks a bit and yeah. having certainly absurd uh, metrics based on completely fear-driven heuristics about life, right? A friend was telling me this. He said, if you've made it to the age of your late 20s and you're not absolutely fucked up beyond reproach in a few ways, from that generation, you could consider yourself relatively okay <laughs> i will agree with that person <laughs> i will yeah, agree because you know that brings me back to our gen z point earlier right because yeah. so much of the content we consume is western brother like it's it's mostly english driven western it, it, culture primarily yeah and we don't have the same opportunity ecosystem in, in i mean yes we do in several ways but not in several ways hmm. and automatically you're putting yourself at a disadvantage looking at people like that and saying hey listen this doesn't feel like it's good enough but it's a different context you're working with entirely and i feel the belief that purely grit can help you transcend your context is a fundamentally toxic belief it is. i think the idea nothing is impossible is a toxic belief if I ever call you and said, Arthur, I'm going to sign up to be a ballerina and I expect to be in the Royal Ballet in the next year, I would insist that you phone the mental health professional I'm working with at the time and manage to force some heavy dose of sedative into me to take me to an institution <laughs> that will correct my perceptions. Right. <laughs> because... I will do that. <laughs> I have that on record, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. <laughs>
<laughs> Maybe because something, some things are not possible and something shouldn't be possible. Hmm. It really shouldn't be possible. You know, I just think, uh, what is this? Look at the appeal system, man. This make 15% more every year, 20% more every year. What about your veg combo has increased so much in price at the mall that you have to need 15 rupees more to wash it down with the fucking Coca-Cola next week? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have never had a friend tell me you know, I'm, incre- I'm working on my kindness 10% extra every year. So, like I got a 20% appraisal and I'm disappointed. So let's go drink. Like, okay. So you, so, you have less of money now. Yeah. I mean, that, that never really made sense to me that, wait, you, you hit some level of increase, which you weren't happy with. So you decided to go decrease it again. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you do get the increase you wanted, you start to decrease it to what it wasn't. So, you know, my, my, <laughs> my point is that the structure is flawed, man. I'll tell you what, let's, let's take away designations for a second. Okay. Yeah. Let's take away mm-hmm. labels. Let's assume we're all just naked carbon-based beings lying stacked up in a, hopefully horizontally mm-hmm. in a building and mm-hmm. just look at people and you say, okay, what are some basic indices of well-being? And you get to speak to each person for a minute. I think coherence, peace of mind, relatively reasonable health, yeah. physical health, decent skin, if they have no condition and they're helping manage them themselves. Yeah. And, you know, an ability to hold a conversation, very basic human things. And now you contrast that with, you know, these beliefs of leaders that we sometimes have. I don't like that word, but it's been used for me and other people. And I don't really, you know, identify with it. But my point is, you look at the, look at the weight, look at the mental health. Look at the lifestyle, blood pressure, cholesterol control. I mean, how are you telling me that linear success is even remotely aligned with human well-being beyond resources? It's not. It's just not. Because what we're working in, this is an industrial revolution hangover. And what we're trying to do is self-actualize. You will never hear a chicken saying that, can I have my left wing go first? Because actualization matters to me. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and I just think that the systems aren't built, and mm. some systems cannot be reformed. Other, and we've talked about this several times. You know, we had processes. Let's have this process, that process. Process number seventeen B gave me wrong copy. But the thing <laughs> is, <laughs> you know, I, I think some systems have to be started from scratch, man. Yeah, uh, which is why I'm, I'm really pleased you're doing this coaching thing. But what is your take on that, though? You know when we talk about people having these dystopian narratives or thinking, what is the purpose? How much responsibility are we placing with the environment to have created that need? Like why, let's say you, I want to ask you, why do you want to have a purpose? What will the purpose do for you? So um, for me, and this is going to sound weak, right? Um, It was always about, okay, I'm, I'm built for something better than what I am doing. There was always this heavy conditioning of, you know, if you have the talent, if you have the skill, you're going to, you're going to achieve things that are bigger, that whole success matrix that we've got from the beginning. When you reach the point of purpose, you've added another layer of, oh, my life has meaning now. So I'm automatically <laughs> better. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, because I'm doing something that's meaningful. Uh, and God fucking knows what that even means for people. Right. So it's a, it became this thing for me, it just suddenly became this thing of, okay, if I am, if I'm able to do something that helps people lead 
a healthier life mm-hmm. right which originally came from if i can help someone yeah. right which originally came from okay i need meaning because i want to be i want because it's no more about survival for me i have i am privileged enough to live in a house where i don't have to pay rent eat if there's food on my table there's money coming in for whatever reason i'm healthy i'm <clears throat> you know no conditions here and there handsome somewhat <laughs> never been told <laughs> but okay uh don't lie to us <laughs> ah serious never been told that one uh up until recently so yeah recently being two and years today and today and today <laughs> thank you sir so <laughs> uh i got to that point where i was like all right apart from me doing something which is just drab and i don't necessarily connect with it or believe in it outside of okay this is just a job um then that's something that i'm going to look at martial arts came for me as a me as a way of kind of finding that out for myself it was a method for me to kind of go beyond what i was capable of mm-hmm. or what i perceived myself to be capable of i can do a push up yeah. and suddenly i'm you know throwing punches and shooting kicks and whirling a stick around and then you know nice. disarming knives and suddenly i'm in an army camp training people so then nice. beyond because i because even that when it started becoming something that i started treating as a job instead of me doing it as a as a love for the skill and not kind of figuring a way to translate it to other people Mm-hmm. is where i stopped doing that and i came back to okay now what am i going to do what am i doing now and for me yeah. it's always been teaching for me it's always been kind of uh okay i make a distinction i am not a teacher mm-hmm. i make a distinction between at least in my category of things there's a distinction between a teacher and a coach and a trainer got it right a trainer for me or in my definition is a very transactional sort of relationship you pay the guy or girl they come they train you and they leave and it's over mm-hmm. a coach is someone who's invested they're trying to find the an- they don't have the answers for you they're just going to give you direction they're going to work with you they're mm-hmm. in this with you you're essentially a team yeah they'll be able to process that information a little better for you and give it to you in a manner that works for you a right. teacher is someone a teacher is the source of the information Mm-hmm. right that's where information is going to come from now how you assimilate it is that teacher as good as a coach that they're going to be able to translate it for you or they expect you to just take that information and do whatever you please with it yeah so i very ni- firmly found myself in that area of okay i'm not a teacher i'm not going to expect anyone to call me sir or any of that if you want to mm-hmm. by all means go ahead <laughs> but it's going to be this if i'm going to try and find the answers with you for you because i like finding answers right i essentially yeah. just clubbed all that together and said okay this is my purpose my purpose is to help you find answers because they'll help me find answers it's a very selfish way of putting this no i, I think it, i think it's a good way it's 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 a, it's fundamentally you know underpinned by by curiosity and a desire for learning right precisely you talk about this uh, need for growth and things like that yeah because i i also saw myself doing that in other areas outside of just the martial arts and everything this podcast is built on curiosity because i like i like 
I like experiences. I like to know about things. I may not be particularly social in a in a physical setting with a bunch of people, right? right? I in fact avoid those. But a one to one setting where I'm sitting with a person and I'm trying to get to know them in this manner, where it's not about oh interesting weather or yeah. what do you do for a living <laughs> and all of that. Yeah. yeah. it's me trying to get to know you at the core of who you are because that shows me another side of what a human being fundamentally can mm-hmm. be or the expression of a human being can be and that is built on yeah. curiosity because you're right curiosity often is also is also a suppressed quality at least here i can't speak for other countries <clears throat> i can't speak for our country because if you're asking too many questions that's also kind of considered offensive in a lot of in a lot of places yeah i mean i think uh, yeah i think as an overriding culture i think very fair uh, mm-hmm. i do think there are pockets where it's not the case the thing is yeah. even with countries so so massive right it's like so morgan housel in the psychology of money talks about it he says that you know uh, if you look at the population of the world 1.8 mm-hmm. billion or whatever yeah. your lived experiences point some 10 zeros and then one eight mm-hmm. right that's essentially percent yeah. of the world Yeah. But 100% of the decisions you make about the world are with this experience. <laughs> Pretty much. You know, which is as fascinating as it is absolutely terrifying. <laughs> that you know, one of the things I say to myself frequently is I fear the day I think I have it figured out because mm-hmm. I'm going to be proof of my insanity. I love that I I I love that double-edged sword of Do I know enough? And oh my God, if I do know enough, then I'm going to be completely bonkers because I've never. I, mean, I spent I I spent so much time thinking, you know, okay, like I dropped out of school, right? I mean, mm-hmm. after school, my after my tenth, I just said this makes no sense to me. This whole system, mm-hmm. and we can get into that a bit if you like. But uh, very early on, I was like, this makes no sense to me, so I dropped out, and I was like, this this is ridiculous. This I can't. make sense of it so let me when i got out did my masters and start the career and then got in the position where i'm managing people i said okay shit it's time to be the smart guy let's uh, start reading mm-hmm. and then i started the more i read the less smart i feel <laughs> i'm like hold on this is this is not what was recommended this yeah. is not what was recommended you know yeah i mean it's one of those things right like you you read so much how to quit self loading that you quit reading and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I think it's it's very difficult to understand but at the same time some of us have base needs you know mm. to connect to make money and that requires us to fit into a system that's again a bit misguided like yeah. this idea of everything and everyone being connected has been presented as progress mm-hmm. the fact that anyone can look me up and text me or whatever but and we've accepted this we've said that the world has progressed technology is at an inflection point we say these you two lines legally stalk people now yeah You can, and the worrying thing is, no one has taken any survey about this. By the way, yeah. that this is what progress will be. There's no dictionary in 1920 saying that. Listen, the day little Rocky from UP can do tumkas on TikTok to a hip hop song is the day we've achieved technological absolution. No one has written this, right? <laughs> <laughs> But. We all look at this and say the world is more connected now than ever before. I don't want to see her fucking tumkas. I have no interest in that. I don't want to wake up to this. Who <laughs> took my permission for this progress? So I'm literally trying to control something random which I had no say in. That's mm-hmm. absurd. 
It's like me telling you, I define when bison should mate with gorillas in the Congo. I have no call on this matter. I have no authority. Mm -hmm. I think frequently this sort of like disturbance comes from us trying to fix things we can't help. Have you heard this thing? Have I talked to you about it? This phenomenon called learned helplessness. I keep talking to about with people. You and I have had a brief discussion about this. We have, right? Yeah. I mean, the fundamental idea is if I read all this news, oh, this is happening, that's happening, this is happening. Fair enough. And I read something else, I read something else. And then I go to my manager, he's cranky. I go to my colleague, she's annoyed. My client is being difficult. And now I'm just saying, ah, oh, geez, all the time. And over time, your helplessness is just a return on investment you're making into beating yourself up. Yeah. Because I was talking to my, my sibling again, right? We were talking about how, let's say you had a mutual fund, right? You mm -hmm. have a nice little mutual fund. Mm -hmm. And after six months, you find that you are expecting a 10% return, but you got 45%. Mm. You're overjoyed at this point. Yeah. Right. And you're like, geez, this is incredible. Now let's switch it up. Let's say your existential worry is a mutual fund. Uh -huh. And every day for three months, you put in a little complaint into it. Right. And after three months, you have a full-blown panic attack. Because it's compounded now. Yeah. And now you've got a great return on investment. You fundamentally had a successful investment. Yeah. <laughs> but because it's distressing, I'm always going to say, geez, this is not very good. This is a problem, right? We have a bias for negativity. Mm. And the thing is, if I ask people, okay, how are you doing right now? I'm okay going, chugging along. I said, okay, can you tell me something that made you... Now what I say to people, I meet them is... What made you smile last week? What's the last thing that cracked you up? Mm -hmm. And that's so much tougher to answer than how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, you know? it is. And here's the thing, man. We're fundamentally working towards lives that we don't understand or define. Like when mm -hmm. you say, I'm designed for better things. And now I feel like you come some way in defining them, which is why you're going ahead and doing it, right? Yeah. I mean, frequently, I think uh, we associate our goals with what the outcome will look like and not the work. Yeah. Like if I want to be a writer, I'm thinking, okay, my medium's going to pop. My Twitter has hundred K and I'm being called up by people to quote me all the time. But literally what's happening in most of your time is sitting at a desk and wondering why the hell you were born in the first place. <laughs> you know? I've been writing 10,000 words a week for 13 years now, give or take mm -hmm. every single document I'm thinking, are you serious? Like, how is this something you're earning money to do? Are you quit? Are you kidding yourself? Also, what on earth is this skill set? A full existential breakdown has become my morning routine. <laughs> oh man. You know? Yeah. And that's the job. That's literally how you write. You have to tear words from your mind when you have no more to do so and put them on paper. And I think, you know, um, we just don't get how much work goes into doing these things. And with YouTube, I mean, you, I learned how to play G minor perfectly. And I go online and this three-year-old Chinese kid is playing ukulele with his toes and his tongue out. <laughs> and I'm just like, geez, okay, I might as well quit now. <laughs> that happened to me with my drumming at some point. Oh, yeah? But you were in a band and stuff, weren't you? I was, I was. Uh, and I saw... Uh... So this guy is the drummer for Sepultura now. And I saw no, him okay. play first in 2005 over a video that I had somehow gotten hands on, mm -hmm. uh, which was the Modern Drummer Festival. <clears throat> and I see this 14-year-old, you know, mini-me sitting on a drum kit and just ripping it up, all right? 
like with everything and here i'm just trying to figure out how to play a 4x4 <laughs> and this kid's got double bass and claves and latin patterns and metal and blocks oh, and i'm just like what the hell am i doing with my life <laughs> yeah man it's, it's very boring but i think so me from all, i i looked into a lot of these artistic coaching things i'm actually yeah. set to start an expressive arts therapy program like Ooh. to to learn expressive arts therapy in, in july i'm signing up for it so you know one of the things is you cannot compare what you create to what you consume because yeah. we consume the finest and that's nothing it's not even ambition that's just abuse i realized <laughs> like i was imagine this like i have had no notable success into besides my normal career mm-hmm. with writing per se you know i i obviously i have a love for the written word and that's the extent of it but even before i post something i'm thinking i'm just giving you a sense of the thoughts that go through my head yeah. right i'm writing b2b tech articles speeches uh writing for heads of state no danger it's mm-hmm. a siege i'm not even nervous about the outcome i'm writing a linkedin post and my head is coming out what if this is the moment that crumbles your reputation <laughs> and then what if this next time you press press enter is what you will say 5 years later when someone asks you where did it all go wrong <laughs> i'm thinking like what <laughs> after half an hour i've come to after one you know Sushma <clears throat> Nandita John and Toby have given me a like and one person gives me a thumbs up and then someone else says gd and i'm thinking this moment was making me question the point of my existence <laughs> yeah yeah i know what you yeah. mean cuz that's the so one of the major reasons i've held off from making a lot of content aside from what and that's a i mean i'm not going to say that there's not a lot of content there's a decent amount of content but i've had people ask me dude you you've got all this happening for you why don't you put out put out more and i'm just like dude self doubt yeah yeah <laughs> cuz i don't know how many how many people are just going to look at this and go what are you saying what did you Wait, uh, for, did l- you let me make that a, let me make this easy for you yeah. um this episode most people but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> See, here's my rule when it comes to the podcast, right? There are like 10 episodes every time. The 10th episode is usually me talking. I just say I I just say this way. I'm like there are nine episodes for you, there is one for me. Right. right. Oh, wicked. Is that the one I'm on? Yes. <laughs> What? I'm so pleased one, about this. You're on the one for me. <laughs> nice. Uh, you're very kind, man. I'm I'm pleased to be that person. Yeah, so I just feel like a lot of these uh collective insecurities man because now mm-hmm. we have the system where everything popular should be questioned beyond a certain point not healthcare i mm-hmm. mean that's a different possible i think everything popular should be viewed with a healthy dose of suspicion yeah. not to disprove it i love this the twitter bio for mark anderson of anderson horowitz mm-hmm. it's beautiful right he says strong views held loosely and i love mm-hmm. that he says have a strong opinion back it up and the moment you see evidence mm-hmm. to the contrary be willing to change them if you need to yeah you know? i think that's that nice. that's the recipe for change for any kind of change that you want and i was writing about this i'm like if you are so attached to an opinion that you have and you may have very valid reasons for having that opinion but if there's evidence to the contrary and you're still stuck on that opinion then you're forgetting then you you've essentially equated your opinion to fact yeah which yeah. it is It isn't but here's the other problem right it's it's not you know it's easy to use words like i i've done it before as well i'm not uh, absolving myself of this crime of calling people who are well you know the informally called dumb hmm. calling them lazy 
Uh, <laughs> I'd say dumb formally, but it's frowned upon. And also I might be uh, putting myself in that group. But my point is, um, you know, when you're always just saying things that you're reading, Balaji Srinivasan said this on the Tim Ferriss podcast recently, like a long four hour episode. Mm-hmm. And he said that if code writes products, media writes people. I thought that was so cool, you know, because what you're watching and reading is fundamentally nutrition for your mind. And with all these algorithms, hyper-personalizing and targeting, frequently you'll start to believe that, you know, with the elections you've seen that in the US, um, you see other views as well. Uh, People talking about causes they don't fully understand. Uh, Quoting science they don't fully understand. Like this pandemic. I mean, you know, it's terrifying. The number of non-scientists I've had explaining the science to me, it's been fascinating. Fascinating. I'm like, uncle, aap, you know, paneer banane se darte ho, lekin vaccine ka science pura pata hai apko. I mean, WhatsApp se sikha hai. It's beautiful. You know? Remember cloud computing? <laughs> Wo cloud mein hai. Yeah. Barish hoti hai, toh data chala jata. Yeah, and, and the thing is, I've heard stranger things, man. I've had... Uh, friends t- take on some absurd healthcare remedies, people just relying on so much hearsay because honestly, it is fundamentally lazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're consuming so much information all day, you have a sense of cognitive fatigue. Yeah. It's inevitable. And we know that people perform worse when they are tired. And most people that I encounter, at least in a traditional work situation, are fundamentally exhausted a lot of their time. It's like a long perpetual burnout. It is, yeah, it's like a slow, agonizing burn, so to speak, right? But it doesn't have to be, you know? I feel like, um, you see, there's these mindfulness perspectives and practices, which I have complete respect for. And, mm. and, and by the same time, we've got to recognize that we are living around a lot of noise. We yeah. are living in a situation where all the circumstances cannot be exactly how we want them. Mm-hmm. Like, what if we stop saying the world is not exactly bad or good? It's just... 1.8 billion ways kind of different. Mm-hmm. You know, because end of the day, if I start there to make a lasagna and told my entire neighborhood that each of the 500 of you can put one ingredient in this bowl and not tell me what it is, I'm not sure if everyone will make moves out of maliciousness, mm-hmm. but I'm fairly certain whatever will be made in the end will be fairly inedible pretty sure you know the finest dark chocolate some nice peppercorns a bit of curd some bhindi the leg of a yak <laughs> perfectly good ingredients in the perfectly wrong place i totally agree yeah and i just feel so there is some pressure now because especially you know we're in the situation where we're transitioning a bit from a collectivist culture to a slightly more individualistic one mm-hmm. and they're all connected it's a very confusing time yeah you know I mean, my folks had both kids, cheese, but both kids, they had both kids well into their, you know, almost their tens by the time they were my age, right? Uh, like, yeah, so, but, you know, I don't I can't imagine doing that just now because, uh, I mean, my reasons for not doing it are different, but at the same time, you know, it's just different times and we have to adapt to that. I mean, I grew up in dial-up as well and no internet before that. And then suddenly this explosion and to expect your brain to adapt so quickly, man, it's bizarre. It's like Christopher Ryan said, right? he said that just when you learn how to dance, the lights come on. That's the kind of party this is. It's a crazy ride, man. It's a crazy, crazy fun ride. 
It is, it is. But, you know, at the same time, I think uh, I've, this has been obviously a weird 18, 19 months for all of us with the amount of time for introspection. And I remember I was working this job with uh, an events company in the UK, right? But I was basically like, like a steward slash bouncer slash door staff, that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm working at this electronic music festival and uh, they put me at the entrance to a village because the village previously com- complained about the loudness of the music. Mm-hmm. At the entrance of a village called Darlington in uh, Liverpool. And I'm at this entrance. And my shift was 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. to 11 a.m. the next day. I'm just standing on the side of a massive highway. My walkie-talkie goes out and it starts raining. Oh, so now no. I'm, I'm about 12 degrees standing on this road, like a dual carriageway, for 8 to 11. It's 15 hours. 15 hours nonstop. That's cool. Wow. This, this is before smartphones. <clears throat> and a car would pass by every two hours, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, I did that two days straight and I had a bunch of other assignments like this. I mean, at the end of these periods, you, it's very easy to get to what's the point. Yeah. That is the question. Sometimes you've got to ask people not where they are, but how they got there. Mm-hmm. When we talk about someone who says, says rude things or looks for fairness, or like, let's say like you looks for growth in the workplace. My question, you know, is usually based on how someone got there. Someone mm-hmm. might just be expecting it. Someone yeah. maybe needs nurture. Someone is emotionally neglected and wants compassion. How do they get there? And what's the point is not a great place to get to. If you use the right tools, it's likely to be quite an upsetting point of play, point of uh, uh, reflection for sure. Yeah. It's also, yeah. Uh, it's also one that kind of shows that you did not get what you were looking for. If you're getting... how, many are, how many people are defining what they're looking for, man? Like I tell people, how are things, things could be better. I said, okay, define better. Hmm. You could be richer, hotter, smarter, with better people, around better people. Okay, and when does better end? Yeah. You know, or at least a simple question. When do you go from better to bonus? So what is the end point for your better? Hmm. So let's say for me, if, it, if I was post-economic <laughs> to a certain extent in terms mm-hmm. of resources, yeah. Uh, I have my health and I'm creating something frequently and I'm having good conversation. That's my better. Anything above is my bonus. Yeah. But if we don't define that, man, you're up shit's creek. Like you're anything. The, you know, people elevate the mind to this fantasmagical thing, but to rein it in, you've got to do, I realize now that you've got to do the same things you do for a body. It is ultimately is, a muscle. You're going to have to work on it. You have to like, it's just discipline and, and structure and all these unfashionable words. You know, I was thinking about this thread the other day. Someone was telling me that you're such a troublesome child. And uh, how come you're so disciplined? Mm-hmm. I keep getting this. Why are you so disciplined? I said, firstly, what I was not as a child was obedient. I have no issue with discipline. My issue is with obedience and subservience. And I feel, you know, as an adult, sometimes we almost associate discipline with a bad word. Like I tell friends of mine, you know, let's train or let's do something active. And I say, oh, geez, why are you so like this? Because they fundamentally resent that because of how it made them feel when they were younger, because they were forced to do these things then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just think, yeah, discipline is quite liberating. And you will testify to that, won't you? Completely. Like if there's anything that's gotten me to the point where I've gotten is, and it is discipline and I will not. I'm not going to lie when I say I'm the most disciplined guy around. I have fallen off the bandwagon more times than I can count. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't wake up on time, so I didn't make it to training on time, or I didn't train. Yeah. You know, 
and you know i didn't do the things that i wanted to do that particular day because i just didn't have the discipline to do so or follow through so what is your comparison framework when you say you know i'm not the most disciplined guy around i'm mm. just riffing on this it probably was just like a subconscious thing so i'm not the dis- most disciplined guy around mm. um who is the most disciplined guy around um you're going to have to look at it in terms of comparisons right and i an idealistic references when you put it mm. out there because if you for example i mean anyone for example no matter what they do they wake up on that particular at one specific time and they do that one specific thing every single day you already i mean you're already way ahead in terms of discipline you're, the discipline is not your problem then mm-hmm. consistency and discipline kind of go hand in hand so you're kind of there um yeah. it's just like it, it, for me it was always based on like if i were to compare myself me to say previous me say 2019 me i was a lot more disciplined back then because i was mm-hmm. a lot more consistent back then right i was not i i, I had a fair idea of what, exactly the steps i needed to take and the exact steps of where i wanted to head yeah what changed was i got there got it so yeah. now i have to rewire reengineer the entire process and get to a point where i'm able to do the rest of those things now what we don't count for is variables because mm-hmm. discipline for a lot of people also i feel has turned into this thing of oh my god if i've fallen off the bandwagon wait for it what's the point yeah. right i had i had a pizza what's the point I missed yeah. a day working out. What's the point? No, it's okay. You missed a day, you missed two days. Fuck it, you missed a month. Yeah. Get back. You know, I feel like that's the issue with using um, you know, I feel our culture, especially specifically like say Indian to a certain extent eastern. Um, there's so much focus on things like grit, resilience, yeah. like your existence is penance for having taken place. <laughs> you, know? you were born um, suffer. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. What is that? Life is suffering, and uh, but my point is, you know, I feel with discipline, systems work so much better. Like for me, I haven't missed a day of training since the first week of October last mm-hmm. year, and that's never happened to me before, right? Mm-hmm. But literally, because I put a workout session in the middle of my workday, yeah. And I said, no matter what happens, this hour gets attended. Mm. I don't know if it gets done; it gets attended. Right. And that's a rule. And I, I found that some of these rigid kind of rules and systems uh, just work better as opposed to. you know the classic i am going to quit oh i can quit smoking whenever i want to well no you can't my friend you're fooling yourself you can't yeah and more importantly if you can whenever you want to hmm. why don't you want to now and <laughs> let's hear the science behind that <laughs> i think this is one of the things that i've been really curious about like and my understanding of it essentially became this that any kind of transformation or any kind of change behaviorally or otherwise is a sequence of steps yeah that sequence of steps has to be taken in some cases regardless of order and in some cases in the exact order yeah that's very if true. you're not if you're not taking this those steps either and again based on context if if those steps are random steps where they're supposed to be sequential steps you are still falling flat on the face yeah right like for me the huge challenge with the pandemic has been waking up early waking up rather on the time that i used to wake up at which is 5:30 in the morning and now i wake up at 6:30 yeah. 
post covid 8 mm-hmm. post covid recovery 8 because right got it we're more tired obviously um and the sequence of steps for me was always like prior to this my sequence of steps if i were to take the anal- uh, take uh, stock of my entire day pre pandemic it was an it was a non negotiable because mm-hmm. i had to get to work because i had yeah. to get because i had to drive to work i had to wake up early because i had to wake because i woke up early i had more time to do the things that i needed to do and go train and then i had yeah. to get to work and then after work because i wouldn't be done training i would go and train again and because by the end of it i'm so tired there is no other option but to sleep i would just sleep on time yeah yeah but i would eat right i would maintain whatever not the healthiest of lifestyles in that sense mm-hmm. because i would often fall ill catch a cold or whatever but there post pandemic yeah. i don't have to drive to work so i don't have an hour long transition period to wade through because traffic yeah. so even if i wake up at 6:30 now instead of 5:30 and i get done by about 8 and i take a shower and i get get out by about 8:39 by 9:30 i have to log in i don't have to drive to work so i don't have yeah. that extra hour to factor in yeah but that doesn't mean i miss my training that just means i don't wake up at the time that i thought i would but yeah. i would still train so i i think that's one of the places where people kind of just fall off that oh i didn't wake up on time so i can't train Yeah no I get that also man you know like the list obviously that's a list you mentioned just off the cuff as well but you'll find that like you just said a lot of people are spoken with I do this because I have to get there if I was left to my own devices I probably do nothing and also I feel a lot of these commitments are external frequently like if I was left to my own devices with unlimited resources and had nothing to actually force myself to do on a particular day yeah what would I spend my time doing I, I'm not a fan of that question. What would you do if money was no object? Well, what would you do if uh, Ursula Andress was a unicorn? I mean, it's a stupid <laughs> question, right? Yeah. <laughs> Every yeah. answer to which is fairly very boring. Uh-huh. But, but my point is that you know, um, what are our internal motivations? When I was say younger, I, I don't know if much time was spent trying to work out what are the things I care about, hmm. what angers me the most, what disgusts me, what excites me. And so as an adult I grew up thinking these are not questions even worth answering. So I would just do things I'm supposed to do, do things that get me seen as someone who's articulate, popular, moderately successful and do those things that reinforce those ideas to me. Mm-hmm. To make sure I don't lose control of an identity I never built in the first place. Right. But I think at least for me um having lived away for a long time working on what excites me what motivates me now it's become simpler like the pandemic last year was probably the most disciplined i've been mm-hmm. you know waking up on time to because i was i had so much time to just focus on what are my motivations you know right mm. which is uh, spending some time uh, practicing music uh, doing writing reading speaking to people having a bit of social contact online or whatever you know Mm-hmm. and I, i i don't know man like a lot of people at least in my sphere thankfully a large chunk of the social contacts i've chosen not fallen into are people who actively work towards things they care about and that's mm-hmm. not had knock on effect on me but some of these collective corporate cultures i think they don't allow you to cultivate that sort of uh, at least here i think uh, 
that kind of internal right. motivation. You're right. always motivated by a deadline, by an appraisal, by an appreciation email, by some right. random employee engagement thing. By something to validate. Yeah. You know, when I was running a team, uh, when I was with uh, Edelman Sister Concerns, you know, right? Mm -hmm. I always show my teammates, if I say anything to you in your appraisal that you've not heard me say before, I need you to report my behavior to the CEO. Because if I'm not giving you that feedback on a daily basis, I'm not going to treat your appraisal like some shitty local game show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> You come out of this ludicrous office and saying, oh my God, 15%. I mean, are, you, are you stupid? Like, what is that game show? I should know exactly where I stand when I walk into an appraisal. Yeah. You know, and, you know, coming back to this again, this is, life comes a full circle. This is your agency point, right? Mm -hmm. Here's the fundamental thing I think <clears throat> would really fix a lot of issues mm -hmm. is within the workplace, outside the boundaries of what constitutes abuse and harassment. Right. You cannot offend me. That needs to be a principle tapered mm -hmm. onto places. Yeah. Besides the foundations of decency, there's nothing you can say to offend me. Mm -hmm. I encourage that culture. I go as far as I incentivize it. I used to tell my teammates as well, I said, every quarter, I want you to respond to one of my monologues with the word idiot. And then justify why you said that. <laughs> okay. And you can pick when that moment is. I might just try this. Yeah, just tell them, say, I just want you to let me finish my thing and then say idiot and then tell me immediately why you said that. Right. Because I was also like trying to work out, you know, for them, how do you challenge authority? Like, mm. you know, we use words like flat hierarchy. Okay. I mean, you don't see mountains working part-time as a sidewalk. <laughs> a hierarchy <laughs> inherently cannot be flat. If, it, if it's flat, it's not a hierarchy. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's just ludicrous. It's just some ludicrous things we say. And then do I say, uh, okay, I called the CEO this morning. I'm an account exec out of the Pune office. And I said, uh, I have to go for an appointment for my auntie who has a cold. Can you write my press release? And he says, how dare you call me? There's nothing flat about that. No, none. Yeah. 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 And you know, <laughs> you obviously read Mark Manson as well, right? And he has this really cool thing he talks about. He says, um, seeking a positive experience. Is it a negative, negative experience? Yeah. yeah, and accepting a negative experience is a positive one. What if we just walked into work saying some things about this place are really shit, but I like some people and that's okay. <laughs> the number of and people every, who've done that. Yeah. The number of people who've done that. Yeah. And everyone walks around saying this openly. I would love that. Yeah. If everyone openly said, what on earth are we doing? We're cluelessly marching in an unknown direction fast. And I'm terrified. Will you have a coffee with me? Beautiful. Now my day is better. <laughs> it's just this tension, you know, this tension simmering under this sort of veil of pseudo logic. Like we, you and I have talked about it, about how some pitch decks we've seen yeah, would oh be completely absurd if they're written by a psychotic poultry person. It's <laughs> ludicrous. And this has made its way out of a human mind, out of a human mind, Adhar, onto technology and made its way across the interweb to me. That's four people having sex. <laughs> 55 years of cumulative experience for these three sentences that completely invalidate the point of any human progress. Yeah. And the, the three letters that make this entire exchange immortal, PFA. 
Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. PFA of what? Like a, a spare member for when I grow old? Like, what am I getting here, you know? <laughs> it's so much to be fixed, man. It's so much. You got to, like, yeah. I mean, oh, we could talk about it for ages. But... <laughs> you and I could probably write a book on this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and I'll definitely read it. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's just us writing for us. Even if that's all that is. If that one manuscript is read by two people, we're good. But tell me this, right? See, now you, you've obviously spent a fair amount of time in a few areas which require extreme discipline, like martial arts mm. and music. Yeah. Literally, how much you work is how better you get. That's literally yeah. the equation for the pursuits you picked. Absolutely. There's no luck involved, right? <laughs> Zero. And so you've seen the rigorous side of things in that sense. Yeah. And now with the coaching, with the therapy process, you've also seen the emotional side of things, mm -hmm. that there's sort of abstract element to life. Yeah. And we need a mix of both of those, right? For holistic well-being. Completely, yeah. How much of the values that you have learned and discovered mm. during this journey of yours, mm. uh, physical, mental, are values that you have also seen the organizations we work for uphold and reinforce constantly? Oh, Lord, no. <clears throat> very few. Very, very few. Because um, the thing with, if I were to take these two things, right? Music, martial arts, and all of the other skills that I picked up, but didn't really pursue as much, right? First of all, that one, that one skill of exploration, not a lot of people talk about, not a lot of people encourage. Um, you don't have to say, you can say, you know what, go out, explore, try a couple of things. That's lip service because I think that executive or that manager at the end of the day, or even that VP at the end of the day, is going to be like, I'm done with my job. I can't stare at the screen anymore. I do not have the headspace for it. I'm going to turn on some Netflix, chill the fuck out, grab a drink and go to sleep. Fuck yeah. you. Fuck everything else. Yeah. Right? So exploration is out the window. Um, but it will be rewarded when it comes to, okay, is it giving me any tangible business results? So from that perspective, yeah. it's, it's for the collective, yeah. not the individual. Um, discipline. I don't think a lot of people understand the discipline, uh, what discipline is outside of a deadline. Discipline is not deadline driven. That's not mm -hmm. discipline. Right? Um, discipline is always something that is no matter the deadline, no matter the time, no matter whatever. If this is the, if this is the thing that I got to do, then this is the thing that I got to do. Yeah. Yeah. And discipline is always coupled with consistency. Consistency is discipline. And that's where progress comes from, right? That's exactly. essentially where you'll start to make progress. But, you know, I'll tell you what, I, I do have a few, um, I mean, I think is everything, like you said, at the start of this conversation is not mm. black and white. Um, these corporate structures also provide valuable employment for people yeah. who might not have one single definable skill. Yeah. Some people, you know, I've seen have jobs, large conglomerates like IBM and places like that, where mm. in India, you know, once you're there for a few years, you barely have to go into the office. You can do like work from home all the time. <laughs> and these can yeah. run thri thriving businesses on the side. They're mm. performing the role they can for the organization. Yeah. And it gives them that sort of like work is not my priority. It's just yeah. I'm done and I can do something else. So it does that a lot. I just mm -hmm. think in our industry specifically, where firstly, what we do is so natural to human beings mm. that we do it all the time. Like if you were, say, I don't know, uh, if you were a, I don't know, a surgeon, you're not doing it all day. Yeah. But the thing is, if you take a break from communicating for a client, you're doing it yourself on your phone with people. Pretty so much. 
it's a fundamentally draining thing in that sense, right? Yeah. The second, it's both creative and it's capitalist, which opens it up to excessive levels of vulnerability, mm. which mostly just means getting used to being dissed very often. <laughs> yeah. You know? And uh, I, I, I do feel it's not a problem with a corporate setting or the creative person or individual collective. I think it's just a question of individuals being able to make the choices according to their personality. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I found for myself, I mean, I, I, it sounds quite uh, trite, but I remember having this equation earlier. I had income minus expenses equals savings. Right. And a few years ago, I changed that to income minus savings equals expenses. And it's a very small shift in hmm. your thinking, right? Yeah. And instead of saying, I want to increase my salary every year, I said, I want to increase my savings by 10% every year. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what I make. Right. And that allowed me to build a bit of runway, you know, from say mm. six to eight months living expenses. So if I lost my job, I'll have at least a few months to live. Yeah. Like I'm not on a month to month situation. I think giving people that space should mm -hmm. be critical. I think that we shouldn't just focus entirely on learning, growth, development. Mm. I think these fundamental skills are something organizations should invest in. Mm. Self-actualization might not be for everyone. They might just want to chill and do whatever they want. But these basics, like if you're starting off as an account exec, that 2K that's going on the weekend on a drink, think about sticking it somewhere else. I think just giving yourself a bit of space is quite important. What is the three mindfulness benefits? There's silence, spaciousness, and stillness. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's the three things. So, and that's not entirely cognitive. That's another issue I have with the personal development mental health movement is that it's too overtly cognitive and there's too much happening in the conscious, unconscious, and the, and the body that gets in the way. Like I literally have no idea who you are. Like you and I are working on narratives of who we think we are and on lived memory of a few engagements. Like Pretty both much, of yeah. us are right now freestyling our life narrative. <laughs> yeah. Because we haven't hung out in person. I mean, people don't know if you know this, but we've never met. In person, no. We've had one video call and every and this is our second one. And ever. everything ever, ever. and uh, everything has either been on text or phone calls yeah. uh, since 2017. And that's the thing, you know, I think so now I know you for four years and I speak to you, I think of someone who I actually, you know, have a lot of time for. Yeah, uh, I don't see you as like a random acquaintance. <laughs> and, and we live off these memories, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I think for a lot of people just accepting, like I said, man, accepting you don't know, like helplessness is a place of power. I mean, if everything you do is insignificant, then technically it doesn't matter what you do. And therefore you can do what you want. Mm -hmm. So be empowered by your insignificance. You know, that's my view. That's what I told myself when I was like <laughs> making a plan to end my life. And so I was like, hold on, you can do two things here. You can either finish it or you can stick around and, and do what you can with it. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I just, I said, I'm just going to be curious. That's it. Right. And for me, every time I say my back is against the wall, uh, things are not going very well. Uh, let me just fix the basics. It always gets better, you know, mm -hmm. always gets better. And every time when I say things like, Oh, geez, things can't get worse. The universe is like, just give me a second. I have some admin oh, my beer. to finish. <laughs> oh, my beer. Oh, my beer. <laughs> there have been so many of those moments, man, where I've just been gloating a bit and, and shit just hits the fan. It kicks yeah. your ass, man. It kicks your ass. All right, you and I can go for hours and hours and hours. And I just realized we finished over an hour and a half. So I'm going to, oh, Jeez. we finished two hours. We finished two. That's a fairly long episode, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, 
my last question where can people reach out to you where can people reach out to me well i think uh, email is a good place mm-hmm. email is a good place if it's people i know mm-hmm. i'm happy to have a text with context about our conversation but anyone who wants to like have a chat uh, i'm trying to think i have an instagram profile jeez i'm not making a fist of this am i you don't use your instagram much i barely do i yeah. mean I, i will check messages but uh, yeah i think this the maximum project on instagram adarsh nalam on instagram and uh, my email which you can stick in the <laughs> thing sure you want later <laughs> yeah yeah you can stick yeah. that in later so i think those are good places to reach out to me and uh, i love conversations i love scheduled conversations even better because <laughs> i can give them my full attention <laughs> but to anyone who thinks they fancy a chat that might be of use to them yeah, yeah. for sure i will be on twitter more actively later this month so let's see what's up twitter are you sure not linkedin LinkedIn I am anyway LinkedIn yeah. is you know for me to talk about uh, how humble and honored I am to be humble and uh, <laughs> humble and proud to be called 30 and the 30 most humble person of never um, Twitter more I think because it's it, it gives me a stream of consciousness view into people mm. I I'm a little I'm quite mindful though of what can happen from that platform <laughs> I, I'm not yeah. a basher yeah so I think but people like say Naval I think I'm really interested in mm. some tech leaders some philosophy from some of these bot accounts that tweet philosophy stuff <laughs> before asking you send money to a Botswanian prince I love that kind of shit so. <laughs> amazing yeah. nice. Adarsh, dude, I love you, man. I love this conversation. Thank <laughs> you. I, 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 I might have taken the brief about meandering too seriously, so you'll have to excuse if it went into. It went perfectly. I told you, there's nine okay. for them. There's one for me. <laughs> this one's for me. Okay. Wicked, <laughs> wicked. I'm very pleased, and I, I hope to do more of these with you. Yeah. And yeah. I think I'd, I'd like to have you on, on my scene as well. It'll just say, just say when we'll be there. Done. Done, my <laughs> Done. friend. <laughs> Hi brother, it's a pleasure speaking Hello, with you. Pleasure. I'm going to stop the you recording. Awesome. Sounds good.